Hi, Jack. Hey, Ramona. How's it going? Um, it's good. It's been a busy week. Uh, you know, I think our podcast is really starting to catch on because had a lot of um, great feedback this past week about our, you know, past few episodes of the podcast. But more interestingly, we had about three or four of our listeners contact us, as I probably told you before, um, just really you know, feeling frustrated because they are really struggling with menopause symptoms and they just don't know where to start. They're sort of hitting a dead end with their doctors, which is like by no fault of their doctors, this isn't their area of expertise, but they just don't know where to go and where to start. And, you know, you and I have learned so much over the past couple of years as we've gone on this journey, but wow, it was a really good question. And I'm never really quite sure how to answer it until tonight. Yeah, you know, I totally agree. And I think the subject of mental health and menopause, you and I have brought up a couple of times now. Um, and I'm so glad because this podcast has been a long time coming. So tonight we're speaking to Dr. Ariel Dolphin, and she's a psychiatrist who specialized in treating women struggling with mental health issues across the life spectrum for like 20 years. So she ran the women's mental health program at Mount Sinai Hospital for I think around 13 years and she started a first of its kind telemedicine program to reach women struggling with mental health issues around Ontario in 2014 and together with her two fabulous partners she recently started Bria and it's a virtual care clinic that offers comprehensive and integrated mental health care for women with mental health issues across various life stages. So you're trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, perimenopausal. They're focused on perimenopause as there's a significant lack of services available for women at this stage of our life. And we're so excited that she reached out to us. Yeah, that was really great because, um, you know, a lot of the challenge challenges that women face are just like knowing where to go, um, knowing the questions to ask. But just being heard and not being dismissed and not being on the clock when they go in for an appointment, but also, you know, um, socioeconomic factors, location, this, these can all be real barriers for women to receive the help that they need. And I think the other big barrier is that, you know, we talk so much about physical symptoms, but we don't talk about the mental health symptoms and you and I have talked about it, but when we got on this, podcast tonight, I think you and I were both pretty blown away about the implications of, you know, our our past when it comes to reproductive health and how that can impact our mental health going through perimenopause. And um, I think I learned so much tonight, but I think that, you know, the biggest takeaway is how critical our mental health is during this period. And maybe I didn't really take it that seriously before. But also how, um, you know, amongst other treatments, therapy is a huge benefit for women going through this. Absolutely. So have a listen to Dr. Ariel Dolphin. So Jackie, I know um, we really talk a lot about how the mental health piece of menopause was something that was very unexpected for both of us, as well as a lot of the, our listeners. 
Um, and today we're really excited to have a special guest with us, Ariel, who is from Bria. And we're going to talk about what Bria is. But first of all, just wanted to say a warm welcome. And Thank we're so you. happy to have you tonight. <laughs> I'm yes. thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. This is a really important topic, Ariel, because um, as Ramona said, it isn't just a conversation that she and I have had. Um, in the past couple of weeks, we've had women approach us who are looking for support. Um, they're most likely still in the perimenopause phase because they don't really know what's happening to them. And I think usually, you know, when we define menopause as being like a year without a period, if a woman goes a year without a period at this point, she knows it's menopause. But what women don't seem to really have a good grasp of is what is perimenopause. And that is sort of when they struggle with where this depression comes from, this anxiety, this sort of feeling of sometimes hopelessness. And and I'm sure you can tell us a whole bit, bunch more about this, but um, it just seems like, you know, we, we do have options for our physical symptoms, but what about the mental health struggles that challenge us? Yeah, well, it, it's a great question. And this is an area that I have dedicated my life to working on and feel very, very passionate about. Um, I will just say that um, I am a women's mental health psychiatrist. I specialize in treating women with mental health issues across the life stages. And, you know, we used to, in the perinatal mental health world, there used to be so much misinformation, so little was known, and um, women would just have a baby, go see their doctor, or be told by family and friends, oh, it's normal to struggle, it's normal to feel anxious, normal to be stressed, <laughs> like, just go about your business and, you know, pull yourself together, everything will be fine. I feel like over the years, there's been a lot more attention paid to that part of a woman's life <laughs> and mental health symptoms. But now we're facing the same thing with perimenopause mental health issues. There's so much misinformation. There is such a tremendous lack of information. And people go see their physicians, as, as we've discussed beforehand, and or they talk to family and friends. And, and people come up with nothing. And they come up empty-handed. And they're told, oh, it's all in your head. Oh, you're going to be fine. Just don't worry about it. Don't need to take it too seriously. And that drives me crazy. That drives me crazy that um, people don't get the kind of help that they need. During perimenopause, as you alluded to, there's so many intense physical changes that are happening in our bodies. And we know very well, there's a lot of literature that shows that especially women who maybe had a previous mental health history, previous depression or anxiety, who've maybe had postpartum depression or who've had severe PMS or what we call PMDD, which is a severe, severe form of, uh, of PMS. These women are very vulnerable to developing mental health problems during the perimenopause. Wow. And okay. the reason for this is not because of absolute numbers of hormones, but we know there's a subset of women who have a vulnerability to changing hormones. And by vulnerability, I mean that the estrogen and progesterone, as they're fluctuating a lot, as they do during perimenopause, um, work with our brain chemicals to create the symptoms of depression and anxiety. And we know that people are very vulnerable to those fluctuations, do experience more mental health issues at major hormonal transitions in life. So this is a real thing. This really happens. 
This and is so this is like it it seems so simple when you, when you're explaining it right now like yeah. it makes such perfect sense but it's also blowing my mind because something so simple you would think would be more understood and more talked mm-hmm. about and it's not and like right. if you rewind and think about you know yeah when you think about a women's women's reproductive health and a lot of the time mm-hmm. I mean, most recently, I would say what, and you could probably correct me in the last like five to 10 years, there's been a little bit more focus on mental health as it relates to postpartum depression. And like you said before, years ago, a woman would be in postpartum and it would be excused until suddenly we're seeing stories where women are hurting themselves or they're hurting their children or they're in bed for months on end. And suddenly everyone's paying attention and going, okay, this is, there's something bigger happening here. And then there's been more supports and systems in place. So what's really interesting for me is to know that like the, the same things, the same hormones that can affect a women's, women's health in general that are being severely affected when they enter perimenopause mm-hmm. or menopause, like how is it, how are we not talking about this more that how these same women or any of us could have mental health issues as serious as Mm -hmm. going through postpartum depression or what have you? Yeah. I mean, I wish I had the answer. I have a few thoughts about why we're not talking about it. I think in general, women's health issues receive less attention, less focus, less research, less funding, Um, there are, you know, and it's systemic, it goes back to when, when physicians or healthcare providers are trained, they don't learn a lot about it. So if you don't learn while you're in training, um, throughout the many years of training, you don't know. And often, you know, if we don't know something, we pretend it doesn't exist, or we just make it seem like it's the person's problem themselves. And I think it just, uh, as as all of us grow up and age into perimenopause and menopause and those of us who maybe spoke out around postpartum depression and as we're becoming more and more aware and as there's more information available at our fingertips and we are demanding more information and better care that the conversations are really starting and I'm excited to see to say that I, I think this is starting around perimenopause and menopause that the conversations are really starting to happen now mm-hmm. and um, you know, maybe it's part of just the booming information age and we can all be more connected and and maybe it's partly uh, in COVID. We can uh, we're spending more time online. We have access to healthcare providers all over the world. We have access to more information and mm-hmm. people are really starting to bring much more and much more needed awareness to these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting you know, when we think about the fact that there's a hashtag, let's talk, bells, let's talk. Um, everyone, you know, uses that hashtag, um, but we don't lump perimenopause or peri and menopause um, yeah. depression in there. And it really should be actually, it should have its own hashtag. I agree. But mm-hmm. I still think people don't believe it's an actual thing. I think that's right. Until they actually experience it themselves or they see their partners experience it, they do not think it's a real thing. I also think there's a lot of still bias against uh, women, as I said, and there's a big bias against aging women 
who were discounted probably mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. discounted for their experiences. And there's a bias against mental health. As much as we say, Bell, let's talk and the hashtags fly around on that one day of the year, you know, there's still a lot of stigma. People have internalized stigma about having a mental health problem. A lot of women feel at this age that they're fading into the background of life and they shouldn't speak out and they yeah. ha- their voices need to be quieted down or people are ashamed to come forward with their struggling. I still think even though we've come a long way, there are still those issues are very much at play. Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people who've never experienced themselves or had a family member that has experienced mental health issues don't really understand the power of your brain. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it's just like anything else in your body and it can fail you sometimes Yeah, uh, in whatever capacity, whether that's hormonal or other things that are involved, but they're very serious issues. And I myself have seen it with close people in my life where I've watched it happen in front of me and went, oh my God, like I've never seen this before, experienced this before, and it can be quite scary. So it's interesting, like, I hope that by, you know, with all these hashtags and all these conversations that, that people will start beginning to talk about it and, and be more transparent about their mental health journeys, because the more we talk about it, obviously, the, the less of stigma there will be. Yeah. And I think the other part of it is that the medical world has to respond. It's one thing for women to speak out and acknowledge Mm -hmm. and talk to each other, which I think is happening more and more. But, you know, people need to have a good response from a healthcare provider and they need to be told this is not in your head. We can help you. You're really suffering. And here's how we can help you. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's a really big barrier that still exists mm-hmm. is that there are still some doctors out there who say, you know, it's it is what it is. You're going to just have to find a way through it. There's other doctors who don't even believe perimenopause is a thing, uh, which is pretty dangerous because that's when right. the symptoms start developing. And that's where the confusion really lies because mm-hmm. women don't even know they're in it. Um Yeah, I I find this part really frustrating because um, you can go to your doctor and say, I feel depressed, but let's face it, you're going to walk out with a prescription. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're in menopause, like I'm on Zoloft because COVID was really hard having a kid at home and we're, you know, starting this business and Mm -hmm. everyone was home. And Mm. threw a COVID puppy into the mix, which was super, (laughs) super smart and well thought out. And I talked to my doctor and I had a meltdown on the phone. I was worried about my daughter's mental health, but it turned out that I was having an issue as well. You know, I I got put on Zoloft, which is great, like very low symptoms, no weight gain, et cetera, but also decreases your libido. And if you're Mm -hmm. in perimenopause and menopause, you Mm -hmm. probably don't have a libido. Right. And so it's not helping. And it just seems like we always go the prescription route when women have a problem. Yeah. Which I, I don't think we should stigmatize prescription either because sometimes there is, you know, a chemical situation happening that requires inter, intervention with medicine. And it doesn't mean that, and I mean, I'm not the doctor, so chime, chime yeah. in, please. But I, I like where you're going. It doesn't mean you, you need to be on, on medicine your whole life, but maybe it's 
a yeah, part you, of your life that you need to support you at this moment in time. And it's been great. Like it really did get me through the worst of it. Mm-hmm. But I do know like in the past, even when I had postpartum, I got put on an antidepressant and I really right. just needed sleep. But right. the point is, and Ramon is absolutely right. Like I think prescription medicine really helps. And especially if it is a chemical imbalance. However, I do feel like it has become a bit of a go-to versus mm-hmm. trying to dig down and find the problem or help solve the issue yeah. long-term. Well, here's the issue, um, as I see it. I totally agree. There is a time and a place for medication, and 100% it needs to be part of many people's treatment plans. But when we build a treatment plan, we've got to look at a bunch of different factors. We've got to look at the biological factors, what's happening in a person's brain and a person's body. Are they sleep deprived? Are there hormonal fluctuations? Are they having thyroid problems? Are there, uh, do they have low iron? Do they have other medications on board in their body that maybe is causing depression or anxiety or mental health? So we need to focus on the underlying biological issues and treat those often with the biological issues, either medication, correcting any of those underlying issues, etc. But mm-hmm. then whenever we are trying to understand a mental health issue, there is the biological, there's also the psychological, and there's also so- social factors. So psychological factors that may happen during menopause could be you know, this is a major life transition time for someone, career questioning, career changing, off ramping in one area of of life, on ramping in another area of life, um, and how people feel about themselves and their aging body and the end of reproduction and their changing bodies. What does that mean to a person who's going through perimenopause and menopause? And what's the psychology behind it? What are the stressors? Are we living in a pandemic? you know, so we have to understand all those. And then we have to look at the social factors in someone's life. Um, socioeconomic factors, of course, are with if someone is is struggling with putting food on their table or is under housed or has tremendous interpersonal stressors or doesn't have a job or finances, all of these things add up. And um, to adequately treat someone who's struggling with a mental health issue, we have to put treatments in each one of those buckets. So, Yes, there's medication, but there's also therapy and therapy is well, different types of therapy are well researched and shown to be first line treatments for many levels and degrees of depression and anxiety. Um, Whether it's individual therapy, sometimes people need couples therapy, group therapies, all of these things have good data to support their effectiveness in helping someone recover from a mental health episode. And so we really need to look comprehensively at a person and all their stressors mm-hmm. and their life, as well as the treatment needs to look at all of those factors as well. So yeah, I think there's no that, like one size fits all approach for no, there person. is no one size fits all <laughs> approach. Um, you know, a lot of women that that go through perimenopause have never had any mental health issues before. Um, So they don't even know they're experiencing them when they're happening. So I'm curious if you could maybe elaborate a little bit on the signs that typically indicate when somebody might need some like additional mental health support. Like if there's anything that we should be looking out for as individuals that could maybe be signs that, you know what, maybe this is something more, maybe I do need some more support. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, it can happen that people struggle for the first time during perimenopause. We see a really high correlation with that with people who have a lot of vasomotor symptoms, hot flushes, hot blooms, whatever you want to call that, and people who have disrupted sleep because sleep is such an integral part mm -hmm. of someone's mental health. So if someone is having really continuously disrupted sleep or continuous hot flashes, especially at night that keep them up and make them really uncomfortable, make it hard to fall asleep again, that's something to take very, very seriously because many nights, on, we can all withstand a few nights here and there of disrupted sleep, but when that happens night after night after night after night, someone needs to really get help with that. And someone needs to get the underlying symptoms addressed as well as the potential impact of the lack of sleep on their mental health. So sleep is one of the key factors to look at and how disrupted it is. The best way for people to tell if they're really struggling or not is really to think about, first of all, how do they feel on a day-to-day -day basis? And if, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, nerdy criteria in the DSM, which stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is sort of the Bible of all psychological and psychiatric illnesses, say, say that you need to have a certain number of criteria for two weeks straight. So those criteria are having a depressed mood, not being able to enjoy life, um, having disrupted sleep, having disrupted appetite. And I will say that for women, sometimes women sleep more and eat more and men often sleep less and eat less, but mm -hmm. those could be for both. Um, if someone's having a lot of trouble concentrating, if someone has intense feelings of guilt or worthlessness, um, and if someone is feeling like a change in their uh, energy level, either really, really fatigued or really sped up and hyped up and, and keyed up. And then there are a few other symptoms as well as more seriously, if someone's contemplating, you know, I can't go on like this. I, I need to end my life. I need to end this suffering. So if we're into that category, it's really, really serious if people are having suicidal thoughts mm -hmm. on an ongoing basis. So, and then having several of those symptoms, as well as the symptoms having an impact on someone's functioning. So whether that's their functioning at home, in their role at home, um, in their relationships, or at work, in any of the spheres that they're used to functioning, if they feel like, you know what, I used to have no problem getting up, getting going for the day, seeing my friends, going out and about, and now I don't want to do anything. Now I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to feel any. I don't want to be with anyone. I don't want to do any of the activities I normally did before. I don't enjoy them. I'm not taking any pleasure. That's concerning. And if it sticks around. So two weeks is a short period of time. But if that lasts for two weeks, certainly if it goes on more than that, someone needs to speak up and get some help in terms of depression. Um, and ask the people around you, ask the people in your life, have you noticed that I seem different? Do I seem more withdrawn? Do I seem more sad? Am I different than my normal self? That's a really good question to ask our close people in our world um, um, yeah. before things get too far out of, uh, out of hand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there are definitely signs um, that we can look for. Yeah. Um, Ramona made a really good point earlier. So if if you're someone who has a previous a previously existing condition, say you have PTSD or mm -hmm. um, maybe bipolar or mm -hmm. I'm sure there's like a bunch of symptoms, menopause will actually 
intensify those or will they like, can it reactivate it, intensify it, a little bit of both? Like, what is the impact? I'd say a little bit of both. It's a tri- It's a complicated answer to, it's a really good question. I think what can happen during menopause is, menopause is, you know, often when people have a history of a mental health issue, they, if a chronic mental health issue or a severe chronic, they learn how to, cope in life we hope and with therapy or with good care that they learn how to keep themselves well they learn their you know toolkit of things that need they need to do to keep themselves well whether that's exercise or um sleeping well or connecting with other people i think what can happen often um during perimenopause is especially the sleep factor is so, so key for mental health and well-being preservation, especially if someone has something like a depression or bipolar disorder, but really with any significant mental health issue, um, if someone's sleep gets thrown off significantly, that's often a trigger for a relapse. So that can happen during perimenopause. And also it can make a lot of the symptoms that they may have felt under control before because of the fluctuation in their hormones leading to the fluctuation in their brain chemistry at that time. It can make them vulnerable to both a relapse of other symptoms as well as to to depression itself at that time. So it, it can be harder to do the things that maybe keep us well during perimenopause or those things get mm. thrown off balance. So really important to stay on top of the physical symptoms and the mental health symptoms at that time. And you touched earlier on um, throughout like the reproductive lifespan of a woman. And since it's something that you've clearly followed very closely, Can you just touch on that like a little bit further around like, so if you're somebody who maybe had really bad PMS or, or something like that, it it could be an indicator that later on in life, you, you may have, um, you may suffer more through your perimenopause or menopausal years. Like, and maybe that's something like you should consider like as you age. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. So if someone is vulnerable at earlier stages in life, so bad PMS, um, problems postpartum or problems during pregnancy, those people are also in a higher risk category for developing depression and anxiety in perimenopause, because these are the people whose brains are very vulnerable to hormonal fluctuations, and they could experience more depression mm-hmm. and anxiety. And that may be the only type of mental health episodes they ever have. They may only have bad PMS. They may only have postpartum depression, and they may only have perimenopause. Um, and um, they may not have episodes in between. Um, and there, and then there are people who may have other types of episodes that may be worsen postpartum or worsen um, with PMS or worsen in perimenopause. But there's sort of two groups uh, of people, maybe more than two groups of people, because nobody's just uh, often that clear cut. But but yes. Yeah, so you know, if I spin it in a bit of a positive mm-hmm. way, what I like to say to a lot of the, the, the patients I see here, it's like, 
okay, yeah, it's it's terrible that you had bad PMS and postpartum depression, but now we know we can plan ahead for perimenopause. We can monitor you. We can make sure you're getting, mm-hmm. you know, preventative treatment. We can keep an eye on your sleep. We can make sure you go on medications at that time. Um, maybe you go on um, on hormone therapy at that time because that will prevent some of the underlying physical changes that could trigger you. Um, and so we can really plan ahead with enough time And if people have enough awareness of themselves, and I always encourage people, take an inventory of your reproductive mental health, whether that's with the doctor or with on your own, and follow around, think back on your life, even if you've never sought help or seen a psychiatrist or seen a mental health care provider, if you're about to enter perimenopause or you're in it, take an inventory. Okay, when were the hard times in my life? How did I do around my periods? How did I do in pregnancy Mm -hmm. and postpartum? Um, and there's some really fantastic good... advice. I, you know, I don't think we think about that very much, yeah. but it, it makes a lot of sense to kind of do that yeah. little, you know, background check almost of like what happened yeah. back then. Well, my, my daughter, um, recently got her period and she's quite young. And so I'm tracking it on P tracker and I keep telling her, like, you need to tell me every day how heavy is your period today? And of course she's like, why do you need to know this? And I don't, I'm not going to talk to her about what's coming down the pipe, but um, I do think, you know, it's important. I wish we had known this um, Mm -hmm. for our own experience uh, through like menstruation to pregnancy, um, to postpartum, to peri, to menopause. Like I think that we should be encouraged to track it. And I know that there are more and more devices and apps coming out that will help us. But yeah, that's a, I think like that correlation has been ignored yeah. the entire time. And, and, and just, I, I think that's amazing that you're doing that. And I, that is one of the best things and the easiest and low cost interventions that I like to share with people because everyone can do it. And the other thing I should just emphasize is even if you don't have major mental health issues going through perimenopause, it's really common that people develop severe PMS after they, after they have kids, after they have more than one kids, it gets worse. And it gets worse as you move through perimenopause, even if you didn't have mental health issues or bad PMS. People are shocked about how awful and dreadful and desperate they feel with PMS as they move through perimenopause and closer to menopause. It can be devastating for people feeling suicidal if they've never felt mm. it before, feeling like they can't go on. And it can be really shocking and really intense. So I 100% emphasize and reemphasize the tracking of the moods and your periods, because all of a sudden, when you know that you feel as you do, and you feel as awful as you do, and you can look on the calendar and say, oh, in five days, I'm going to be getting my periods. Okay, I'm not losing it. I'm not going crazy. I'm not, I'm not, this is not the end of my world. But my hormones are are causing me to feel this way that gives so much relief it like bursts the bubble um, the people it's are 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 encased in in those days it can be horrible and sometimes people need more than just monitoring but that's often a very good first step for many people well yeah and also too like if you know that you're feeling particularly off and you know it's related to something. I think it at least helps you rationalize that 
this is a phase this you know like it yeah. i think it might be mentally helpful to know that um do women like when we go through perimenopause and say our depression or pre-existing conditions get worse um or are newly presented do they tend to um wean off or or decrease not wean off but decrease during menopause like through the help of therapy maybe and just the hormones becoming a little or lack of hormones yeah. more balance yeah they they do you know it's it's really interesting i there's this chart that i love and i will send it to you guys after and it basically shows rates of depression between men and women um, across life stages, like from, you know, birth till death, basically. And it shows how um, lines are very similar until puberty. And then women's line of hormonal fluctuation basically goes up and down throughout life, up and down through, you know, with pregnancy, up and down with perimenopause, and then the hormones layer level out. And at the same time, the rates of depression um, change wildly at, and, and are very, very different. Women have a much higher rates of depression throughout all the childbearing years. And then it levels out again too. So, um, so basically, exactly. <laughs> we get the roller coasters in every way we get the hormones, um, we get the, uh, higher rates of depression. And then once we hit perimenopause, because those are play, the numbers seem to be consistent with those of, of uh, men, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. So why don't we talk a little bit about Bria and I mean, how it was conceived, why it was conceived and, and the different types of therapies you guys have to support patients. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled to talk about it. It's a, a new venture that um, one of my very long term colleagues, um, uh, her name's Bev Young. Uh, she's also a uh, women's mental health psychiatrist. We worked together for the past 20 years and we've come together with a uh, another uh, woman who's our, our business partner. And we created Bria in order to really create what we hope is the ideal mental health care system for women across reproductive life stages. So we see women who are trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, in early parenthood, and through perimenopause. And we have a, what we like to think is a really comprehensive, integrated healthcare system for, for anybody, everybody who's at any of those stages and who identifies in, in any of those areas is welcome to, to come onto our platform. Um, they get an assessment by a, a, an amazing uh, trained uh, mental health care nurse. They're given a care plan based on the assessment and based on some questionnaires that we sent out. And the care plan, like we were talking about before, could include therapies, could include um, maybe a, a more in-depth psychiatric assessment if needed for medication um, and or other types of health care, um, what we call allied health care. So we have different types of therapists, individual therapists, couples therapists, group therapies. And then we work with a bunch of different other uh, providers, such as uh, lactation consultants and um, sleep coaches and parenting support and career coaches. And we basically want to throw everything, like I was saying to you before, 
at an individual person as they are struggling, because we know mental health is not just about one thing. And we know that all of these different components impact people at different life stages and impact people's mental health. And we want to be able to provide the gold standard of care and provide everything from the patient perspective, um, what they feel they're going to need and what we think they're going to need in order to feel better. So, we have them come and join us and they're then they're um, encouraged to use different services or they're recommended other services if they don't want to use ours. Um, and if they join us, then they're, uh, they're followed along by our care coordinator and they can touch base with a care coordinator if they're struggling with their treatment plan. They can, um, we do some symptom monitoring along the way to make sure that they're getting better, going in the right direction. Um, and, and then we, we really just try and provide the best possible care and the best possible care plan for, for every woman, because we know that it's so hard to find good care providers. Absolutely. It isn't just that it's hard to find a care provider. It's that women don't even know where to look. And their first step is always their doctor. And God yeah. willing, you have a good doctor. My doctor yeah. is amazing because she admits what she doesn't know. Um, she's yeah. teaching herself, which is amazing. But she also, if I go to her and say, I want a referral for this or this or this, she gives it to me. She does yeah. the blood work yeah. that they require from me. But that's because Ramona and I have been talking about this for almost three years. Like, yeah. like um, you know, there's three women in the past week who have come to us because of the podcast and saying like, like intolerable symptoms, they don't know where to start. Um, as I mentioned, maybe earlier, one of them's their doctor denied that there's anything called perimenopause, which I feel is really dangerous to yeah. health. But but that's not, you know, that's not a facetious thing. She just probably yeah. doesn't understand it or, you know, they're not taught this. So, right. you know, when we talk to these women, we're like, I like we know from talking to all these experts, yeah. there's all of these options. But where do yeah. you start? Yeah, well, we hope you start with Bria. Um, we, it, it, um, we have made it so it's it's self-referral. Like we want people to come on their own. We want every woman to have heard about us in Ontario, eventually in Canada, eventually in North America. We have very, because we know how hard it is for people to access care, to access good care, uh, how hard it is to cobble together all the different pieces of care um, and to really stick with it and to know if you're getting better. And so we want to bring all of this to people. And it is virtual because we want to be able to have very broad reach and see people in all corners of our province, in all corners of our country, hopefully, eventually. Wow. Um, and and the people can find us. Hopefully, we're going to get the word out and people mm -hmm. can come and they can find us and they can start on their own. We reach out to their primary care provider if we feel we need to refer them within our within our platform to one of our MDs, mm -hmm. whether that's a psychiatrist. We also have, I forgot to mention before, a great gynecologist who, who mm -hmm. is very aware of hormones and fluctuating hormones and can, can provide different types of care in that way too. So 
we want it to be accessible and we want it to be high quality care. And we already have a lot of healthcare providers who were thrilled to have come and agreed to work with us. And we think they're, they're woman friendly and they know what they're doing and they know the issues and people aren't going to feel ashamed and they're not going to feel stigmatized. And they're going to feel like they've come to a place where people can get the type of help that they need and really get better. Those are our goals. So speaking of accessibility, um, I know that a big concern for a lot of women, especially when we talk about socioeconomic factors, is coverage. Is this covered under OHIP and, you know, costs? Those are barriers for a lot of people. Absolutely. So some of our services, our MD services are covered by OHIP. Um, the other ones of our services, the therapies and stuff, unfortunately, the government of Ontario does not cover therapy. Um, but fortunately, if people have benefits or health spending accounts, or if they have some type of, of health insurance, we've been, we made sure all of our healthcare providers are registered uh, professionals and um they are able to have they're able to get a lot of our services covered um and we're working on other things but right now it is uh people do have to pay out for out of pocket as they do for almost all yeah. therapy around the province at this mm-hmm. point of course yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's more of a provincial issue than <laughs> yeah else, that, right? that's we have an, a few hours we can discuss that oh, but, uh, <laughs> we yeah. will happily discuss that with you at a later date yeah but I um, think what I love I think what's so lovely about what you've you've built here is that the care providers that are offered to people that connect with you particularly women that connect with you are providers who understand the the various life state reproductive life stages Mm -hmm. of women and Mm -hmm. and know that there are these hormonal fluctuations that are a contributing factor in many different aspects of our life whether it's mental health physical health or whatever and that aren't going to dismiss us when we pick up the phone you know because I think that is the biggest barrier for a lot of women is just having a healthcare professional that understands them and listens to them and refers them to the right people. Yeah. Yeah. I do have a question on the mental health sort of therapy. Um, Like I think about you know, um, psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, the different kinds of therapies that are available. If someone were to come in and no previous history of a mental health issue, but menopause has, or perimenopause has brought on like, you know, um, angst and anxiety and depression, how do those therapies help them? Like, um, is it more about helping them understand that this is out of their control and not not related or tied to a personal issue or a trauma. Like how, I'm, I'm just curious about, I've, I've gone through cognitive behavioral therapy for a long time. It's amazing. But I'm curious about how it treats symptoms that are not tied to previous trauma. Um, well, you know, I think it really depends on what the person is presenting with. Um, so is your question how how does cognitive behavioral therapy work or what is the 
mechanism that it makes it helpful? Or... Yeah, I think it might be around the mechanism. I'm not sure I know how to articulate this, but um, I have suffered from PTSD. And so when I go into my therapy, like mm-hmm. I'm tackling issues that I know the core mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't have any issues, but I've, you know, come into perimenopause and I all of a sudden develop like depression or anxiety, how do we tackle that? Like there's no previous history. Well, you can deal with, I mean, there are certain circumstances. You can also deal with um, you can deal with understanding what is behind it. I'm a psychiatrist, so I'd never say there is no history. All of us are, uh, you know, are people that have many years of life, many years of a personality, upbringings, factors of that are influencing us and how we see the world now. And so I don't think anyone's straightforward and I don't think anyone's simple and I don't think anyone is without um, stuff that... Uh, isn't worth working through. So um, whether if you if you do develop depression, yes, it can be biological, it can be, you know, purely due to hormones. But in cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, if that was the case with someone, which I think that person would be in the minority you would look at, okay, what do you what makes you feel depressed? Do you feel depressed because you're not sleeping or do you feel depressed because you're getting older and having these symptoms? Okay, how can we separate those thoughts from making you feel depressed and realizing, okay, we are all aging and this is how I'm aging. It might not feel great and I don't love it, but um, but I'm relatively healthy and this is a normal process. And how can I wrap my head around that uh, in the here and now? And how yeah. can I how can I separate my thoughts about the catastrophe that might come from having a hot flash um, and not making that into a catastrophic thought that my life is coming to an end or I'm not attractive or I'm not going to be a physical or sexual being anymore and get depressed by those thoughts. How can we stop those thoughts in their track and uh, see that the, those physical experiences in a different way. That's what I will say. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Well, it's a really good point what you're saying, because I think that a lot of issues, regardless of our past, that women tackle moving forward through perimenopause are ageism. It's shaming from other women because other women don't want to relate to aging. It's, um, you know, worrying about your career in the like Mm -hmm. workplace and having like a, you know, memory fog or whatever that could cost you your job. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's so many other factors. Yeah. Yeah, there are many factors at play. Well, and if they're not past factors, then they're present and current factors. And um, so CBT would look at different ways that we are experiencing things in the present. So I think, um, you know, the one thing that would be, I guess my question to you would be when we relate to women's mental health needs versus men's mental health needs, at the end of the day, is it really a lot of the time for us related to hormonal issues that trigger mental health issues? Is that too easy of a blanketed statement? Yeah, I'd say that's a big part of it, but I think it's a bit reductionistic to just focus on only hormones because, you know, 
at, at, at any life stage, there are hormonal fluctuations, but there's also major life transitions, major, um, you know, again, if I go back to my biological, psychological and social factors, because that's a framework we often use in psychiatry um, to understand people and to help treat people. So those are maybe the major biological factors. But then there's also a a lot of other things too. the psychology of aging, the psychology of, you know, no longer being able to reproduce the psychology of, you know, being an aging older woman in our society and what that means. And and never mind all the social factors of of people who, um, you know, as I said before, um, socioeconomic challenges, racism, sexism, barriers in the workplace, issues in the workplace. Um, And then uh, if we have children, children leaving home, children coming back to home, aging parents, coping with aging parents and death and dying. And, you know, so much happens in perimenopause and menopause and midlife, so to speak, that I think I would be very cautious about just reducing it to hormones. I think that makes all of that a whole lot worse and harder to challenge because we're fighting battles on all fronts, basically. We're dealing with things on all fronts. That's kind of my fear as well, because I noticed that narrative seems to begin the minute you start menstruating, right? Mm -hmm. Because the women, the, the, the moment a girl is emotional and, and I catch my husband doing it now that, you know, I have a teenager in the house who is menstruating that, Oh, I can see it's that time of the month. Right. And I like got really angry with him. And he's like, right. I didn't mean it in a mean way. I truly meant like, I can notice a change yeah. in her behavior leading up to it. And I'm like, I know, but it's the, it's the narrative, the negative connotation associated with that, that bothers me. Yeah. And I guess I'm concerned and probably other women are concerned that, you know, mm-hmm. the same sort of narrative can, can be applied to your menopausal years where it's like, oh, now she's using these hormone fluctuations. There is definitely a hormonal piece to this that, that probably applies. But as you say, and we've brought this up, like, I think I'm like probably repeated it about a hundred times on this podcast is that women do tend to carry the lion's share of a lot of what's happening in, in life in general, particularly when you have a family, but you're also at this stage, you know, you're at the height of your career, you're juggling children, you're taking care of aging parents. You're, there's so much, I feel more pressure on us than ever before that contributes to our mental health. That isn't just hormonal. A hundred percent. But at the same time, I think we have to be very aware of how our bodies make things harder and wonderful. I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's, I'd much rather be, you know, going through everything as, as going through life as a woman than a man. And I think let's use that to our advantage as a piece of awareness as to what may be happening in addition to ABC stressor and, and, and speak up about it and talk about it and get our healthcare providers to acknowledge it and to fully and robustly care for us around that. So I think it's important. We can't, we can't cut off any part of ourselves, whether that's our, our, our physical bodies, our mental health, our stressors and our roles. Um, so I don't want to remove it completely from the conversation because I think 
without the awareness of those factors and potentially more uh, vulnerability for some people than others, then people are losing a, a very significant uh, trigger to their potential issues as well as treatment for their potential issues by not. So I think we have to hold up all the different complexities and hold up all the complexities of our lives and who we are and the bodies we live in and uh, try and put it all together as opposed to um, shut down any one part or feel ashamed of any one part. Like we need to talk about it. We need to get it out there. We need people to be aware. We need people to speak up and ask for help when they can. I think, um, you know, I think when I, when we consider that, you know, like as Ramona said, we have life stressors on us and then, you know, we have societal issues, et cetera. If you look at the way that we look at pain management and the things that can help that are non-pharmaceutical, like deep breathing, uh, visualization, that can really help with pain management. And it mm -hmm. makes sense what you're doing because I think those ideas of changing the narrative around menopause and our bodies and what's happening mm -hmm. and viewing it more positively and, you know, realizing the power of our bodies can maybe help us to at least be at one with our symptoms instead yeah. of trying to battle them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And like pain is another factor. I'm glad you brought it up because many, many, many women struggle with chronic pain. It's very complicated to treat. It's extremely debilitating mentally and physically. And um, it can also be a factor and it can also needs a very comprehensive and holistic approach. And we don't want to siphon off any one of those one of those pieces and and you know dealing with chronic illness dealing with pain is much more likely in midlife and perimenopause and menopause and that's a whole other factor that makes the stages of life much much more tricky to to look at and to address and a whole other complexity in terms of how the medical system looks at women who deal with chronic pain and chronic issues and we have a long way to go in that realm and Yes, we do. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that this um, episode has been really enlightening and a long time coming. We we often talk about mental health, as I said, at the top of the, the podcast, um, because it is something that we really want to shine a light on as it relates to menopause. And and I just want to thank you again for joining us tonight and, and helping us shine a light on it further. And, and we hope that everyone will check out Bria as a place, yeah. a safe place to go mm, and seek help and support if they're struggling. Yeah, I thank just you. love that we that we connected with you because now when women come to us and say like I don't know where to start on this journey yeah we now have yeah we have the destination thank you <laughs> and being thank virtual you. is amazing because it, it mm -hmm. really is accessible to all mm -hmm. women mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah thank yeah. you so much thank for you. joining us thank you episode. so much both of you it's great to talk and great to uh to connect